Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. If you're joining us this morning for the first time, we are in a series called More or Less. If you're joining us online, maybe you saw us last week and we're in a series called More or Less and we talked about being more present, less distant. Today we're going to be talking about more kind, less critical, and I, w- I just want to thank the Cornerstone parents, teachers, staff, We're so glad that you're joining us today, and if you're joining us online and you're in your PJs with your coffee and your oatmeal and your yogurt and you're lounging on your Lazy Boy, we're jealous of you. (laughs) But we're so grateful, so grateful that there's a lot of people here, and we're really excited that we're getting closer and closer to where we were before 2020 and this whole pandemic thing occurred. And so aren't we grateful? Amen? Yeah. In saying all of that, I've had some interesting experiences since I've started this series called More or Less. Got an email this last week, and a lady in our congregation was sharing with me some changes in her life, and she signed her letter or email, more or less, and then her name. Our staff people uh, kind of check out how I do on Sunday morning, so they were saying something to one of our members and said, well, how did Chris preach this last Sunday? And they said, more or less. <laughs> that, that just didn't only happen one time, it happened two times. And so I, I'm thankful that you, there's some involvement and attentiveness in regard to more or less. So the question this morning I want to ask is this. What is the one thing that you need to work on? What if you would ask your spouse, a coworker, a friend, a classmate, what is one thing that you would need to work on. And somebody said, I heard everything. If I would ask my spouses, which I was, I chickened out this week on this one. <laughs> I think she would say, well, you could be a little more kind and a little less critical. And <laughs> I shouldn't have got an amen this morning on that. <laughs> but really, couldn't, be, couldn't we be a little more kind and a little less critical? Because criticism is kryptonite for relationships. When you think about criticism, in fact, they've done the statistics on marriages that last, and being critical, being negative toward your spouse was a high indicator of divorce, a high correlation in in relationship to that. And so I think as a people, we need to think about, can we be more kind and to be less critical? 
And I believe Jesus had something to say about that. We're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount a little bit today. And if you have your Bible or your tablet or your phone or on your app, go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And we're going to be looking at probably one of the most misquoted, well, the most quoted and the misquoted verse of our day, which is this, what Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. And there's two extremes that we go in our society, in our culture. And the first extreme is this. When you hear that, you keep your mouth shut and you don't say anything to anyone because you're being critical, you're being judgmental. Or second, the second extreme is this. Be the most condemning, vile, vocal person to every person around you, and especially on social media. Have you ever said something innocently or or posted something innocently on social media and got condemned for it? I mean, just beat up for it. I have. I think all I said was that, and I get this response. I got a response this week for just saying something, something eh, I didn't think so bad. You have to come and see it. That's kind of what I said. You have to come and see it to know what it is. And, and I got a response. I thought you were a decent person. And so I showed it to my wife. And I said, and she said, well, Chris... You probably could have said that better. And I said, thank you. (laughs) So when we read this passage and we look at this and we hear that, wouldn't you want to know what what Jesus really meant? What did Jesus really meant when he said this in Matthew chapter 7. And you've got to understand the Greek word that that the word judge comes from is krino, and it means to condemn, to judge someone guilty. And I think that's very different than the way we look at it today. So the question then becomes, did Jesus mean, do not analyze or evaluate and try to help someone around you? And I would say no. Jesus did not mean that you should never address something in and around you in someone's life and help correct them. Now, maybe you're like me, and especially when I preach something like this, I know correction is coming. I know it. I know this is going to happen and this is going to apply to me and, and somebody's going to feel the burden to say, you know, Chris, I've been waiting to tell you this and this is now the perfect time because you preached this sermon. And it may be. And how I respond is very critical to that correction. But just to make a point uh, that Jesus did not mean that we don't discern and we don't speak into others' lives in kind ways, look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. And this is 
This is kind of radical. If you, you read this, and, and this is what Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Wow, that sounds pretty judgmental to me. Between you and him alone, not on social media. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, then he says, post it on Facebook. No, he doesn't. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this is pretty serious stuff. This is dealing with sin, and it is important. And then look at verse 17. It says, and if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a gentle Gentile and a tax collector. Now, this is talking about brothers and sisters in Christ who are sinning in such a way that it becomes an issue in the body of Christ. And Jesus is saying, you've got to take care of that. And then he goes on in John chapter 7, verse 24, just to give you another scriptural example of what Jesus says. And it looks like it's, he's contradicting himself, but he says, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. And so he's saying, be discerning. Again, he's not condemning. So have you ever felt, or have you ever been corrected by someone and felt condemned? And I think we would all raise our hands, wouldn't we? That we have probably been corrected by someone, maybe a parent, maybe maybe a sibling, maybe a co-worker, maybe a boss, someone in our lives has probably corrected us and we have felt condemned. But notice what Jesus goes on to say in verse 2 of this passage. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Isn't that kind of scary? Because judgment has a boomerang effect. As we discern, as we judge others, so shall we be judged. At the level that we're judged. Or at the level that we judge. So the question is how do we want to be judged? How do you want to be judged? And most of us will say, well, I don't want to be judged. But if I had to be judged, how would I want to be judged? Well, I'd want someone to consider my background. I w- would want someone to consider my birth order. I would want to, someone to consider who my siblings were and who my parents were and how they messed me up. And I would want them to know where my grandparents, where they came from and what they did and what my great-grandfather did and how that was passed down through the, the family and the generations. I'd want them to know whether or not I'd had coffee that morning and what had happened and whether my car started or not. Wouldn't you? You'd want them to take all the information and all my historical or all your historical facts behind you before you were judged, wouldn't you? Yeah. And don't you want, at, at certain times 
in your life and in your day, especially when you're being criticized? Don't you just want to say, just give me a break, I'm having a really hard day. And you would say, aww, and feel really sorry. And this is a generalization. Wouldn't you say we generally judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions? Isn't that true? We know our intentions, so we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt of the bad day. But when we look at others and see how they are acting, then we judge them. One of my favorite preachers tells this story. He was preaching at a conference, and and he'd been preaching all week, and this lady and this man, she wheeled this man in every every, uh, seminar, every, what am I say, every part of the conference, and about 10 minutes into every time this preacher spoke, this man would fall asleep. And, and, and the preacher was taking it personally and, and felt like, you know, why, why do you even come? What is this all about? And, and not only did, were they present, but they were in the front of the gathering, and so it was distracting as he would nod off. Well, after the event was over and they were leaving, this lady brought this man up to him, and, and, and she explained. She, she said this. She said, this is my husband. He is dying of cancer, and you are his favorite speaker, and he follows you everywhere. He, he has always adored you. And, and, and as his final wish, he wanted to come to this conference Well, how do you think my favorite preacher felt about that big? Because he prejudged them. He thought one way instead of realizing and giving the benefit of doubt. He he filled in the gap with something negative rather than something positive. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, this is what, what he continues in this passage. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? Then he goes on and says, You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Well, there's a few ways to interpret this passage and to apply it, and I've heard this wrongly applied this way. Well, it's because of the sin of the person who is confronting the other person with their sin. And that's why there's a log in that person's eye, because their sin is greater, and that is wrong. Well, that's a completely wrong uh, interpretation or commentary on the passage. The right way to look at this is this, that there is always a log in your eye. Let me say this clearly. There's a log in your eye that you don't realize. There is a log in my eye that I don't realize. And so when I come to a person to share or maybe to help out or say, maybe 
you don't realize this. Before I do that, I have to realize there's a log in my eye because I'm a sinner just like you. In Romans 6.23, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that doesn't just talk to you, it talks to me. And so when we approach that other party, we have to do it humbly. So, so why is this so important that we're spending time in Matthew 7? Well, it's important that we realize that there's a log in your eye because it postures your heart to avoid self-righteousness. And, and a self-righteous person is someone who makes light of their own sin and shines a spotlight on the sin of others. So this is so very important for the church. It's so very important for Christians, and especially for mature Christians, because we know a lot. But we still have to realize there's a log in our eye. And that's why we spend time at the Lord's table every week to remember that we're proclaiming our sin as well as his death and resurrection and his victory over sin. Because, folks, we've got to admit this, that self-righteous Christians keep non-believers away from the church because they see our self-righteousness. Jesus was the hardest on the, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, the supposedly the most mature, because of their self-righteousness, because they failed to recognize their own sin. Because we've got to understand something, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and all of us need the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. So let me ask you this. How do we help someone we care about who is making some bad decisions, who, are, who is going down the wrong path, or there's something that, that you're concerned about for them that they need to know that's not going to really go over very well? First of all, we've got to realize that there's a log in our eye. And something interesting about this log is that, that according to what the scripture says, it's a beam or it's like a joist that you would put in a floor or a, a heavy, sturdy beam that you would use to support a lot of weight. But also this same word would be used for something else in Bible times. And it would be used for the beam that Jesus hung and died on. And so we've got to recognize that that long was used for Jesus' execution and sacrifice. And as we look at this word picture that Jesus uses, which is comical when you think about, if, if you just imagine everybody in the room and, and if, <laughs> if, if everybody having logs in their eyes, and, and, and if you would imagine that, then you couldn't see it because there would be logs in your eyes as well. And so you really would see nothing. 
But when you think about what Jesus was talking about in this passage, and you ask yourself the question, why the I, and then realize that the I has millions of uh, neurons and nerves, and it's one of the most delicate, sensitive parts of our body. And if you've ever had anything in your eye, and it's super, super painful. So Jesus is giving a picture to us of how we should deal with people ever so gently and kindly and sensitively. And so when we answer the question, how should we deal with people that we love, that we're concerned about, that we need to say something that might be considered hard and might not receive a positive reaction, the first thing to do is to remember my sin. Remember your sin, that there's a log in your eye. Second, we need to respond with humility, gentleness, kindness, grace, and forgiveness that we all need and receive from Jesus. And finally, third, you've got to consider what is the goal. And the goal is restoration and not condemnation. Make sure that your goal is to restore and to help and to love. I don't know if you're a coffee person or not, but if you would go to a coffee shop every day and order the same thing, because that's kind of the pattern of our behavior. Maybe not for everybody, but for most people. And let's just say every day you show up at the coffee shop and there's a girl probably in her 20s with her backpack and she's all black, all, all, I shouldn't say all black, but dressed in black. Very gothic, the whole thing going on with all the tattoos and all the stuff. And it's, it's not appealing to you because that's not your, your sort of thing. But you see her every day. You see her every day. And, and the question then becomes, how do you approach her? Do you approach her in judgment or do you approach her like someone that would be like a doctor that would desire to, to heal and to care about her? And so do you strike up a co- uh, conversation because you, get, you, you drink the same espresso coffee with uh, skim milk every day? Every day you show up. And she takes her backpack out and she pays for her coffee. But you've never spoke to her before. So do you say, hey, I'll, I'll take care of that today? Hey, do you think they know? Do you think the barista knows what kind of coffee we drink every day? Do you befriend her? Do you reach out to her as a fellow sufferer of the morning and care about her? How about that guy at the office that nobody likes? He's kind of rude. He's kind of crude. He, he's oblivious to everything that goes on around him and he's the center of his own universe. 
He's on his second divorce and he's got a girlfriend and he drinks every night and he smells of alcohol when he shows up at the morning work. But, but you know that he eats by himself at lunch every day because nobody else wants to hang out with him. But he likes the same restaurants that you do. Subway, Burger King, and Taco Bell. And you know there's a deal at Subway for a foot long. And you know you can't eat it all. And so do you invite him to go to lunch or not? Do you start a conversation with this guy's unsavory? Do you judge him or do you look at him as someone who needs some help and some encouragement and some grace? Finally, you go to the work picnic and it's a little rowdy because somebody brought a keg and some people are a little tipsy and things get a little raunchy and there's a little bit of flirting and they have this softball game and there's some people that are a little drunk and there's some questionable behavior going on and you you're thankful that you survived the company picnic and you don't ever want to go back again but the very next week the very next week somebody says hey we had so much fun at the picnic why don't we start a softball team and you think there's no way in heaven that I'm going to be on that softball team. But there's a little voice in your head. It might be called the Holy Spirit. It, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit saying, you need to join the team. And it doesn't matter if the girl that gets a good hit on the team, that puts one through the middle, you, you kind of wonder about their gender. But you say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because I'm there not to be a judge. I'm there to share Christ and make a difference. And place yourself in an environment where there's some chaos and some uncertainty and some questionable behavior and re represent a loving Savior that is gracious and forgiving that has taken the log out of your eye and given you hope and peace and grace and love and kindness and patience and a desire for others to know Jesus. And the only way that's going to happen is we become more kind and less critical and less judgmental. And that requires a transformation inside of every one of us every day. And that's a challenge, isn't it? To live for Him. This morning, I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ, but I would encourage you to take that next step, whether it's uh, confessing Him as Lord and Savior, whether it's submitting to baptism, whether it's getting involved in a church family. Uh, just know that invitation is there for you. Would you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, we are so grateful that you didn't come to judge us, you came to save us. That you entered this world as a human being and gave your life 
in such a way that we might have peace with God. And Father, that made all the difference in the world in our lives. And Father, I just pray that we'll have a compassion and a passion for those that don't know you yet. That Father, your love, your grace, your compassion, your spirit would fill our lives that others might know Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning?